Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Now, looking back over the past 18 months, I think we could all say that we've experienced our share of highs and lows. Some of us more lows than highs, right? Though it's you know, something to be thankful for to God that He has surprised us in the challenges and the trials with His goodness. Amen. As you heard Pastor Dave say at the beginning of the service, and as you read in the email from the pastor this week, we are taking today to lament, to give, give and create space for us to, to do that sort of thing, because we don't do that enough. And then next Sunday, we will celebrate, and we'll hear stories, we'll worship together, and we'll baptize some folks down at the creek. So please don't miss that. But here we are today. We want to be a church that holds lament and celebration together. Where else is that happening in the world? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Now, being a pastor is not easy, especially these days. Um, pastors shepherd folks on their deathbeds and in maternity wards. You know, there have actually been times where that's happened all in a matter of a week or two. To watch someone die and yet to celebrate new life. And you know, we're, we're all called as ministers of the gospel to embrace all of this with faith in God's good future. As Paul said, to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's challenging sometimes, but we experience the Lord in this. The Lord meets us in this. The Lord gives us strength and power to endure, not only for ourselves, but also to comfort others who are mourning those who are weeping. You know that passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, it talks about the coming kingdom, the, the new heaven and the earth, when, when God's realm joins together with our realm and this new reality is born, which we see foreshadowed in the resurrection of Jesus. And, and John tells us in his revelation specifically that there will come a time when there will be no more weeping and no more mourning. And we all look forward to that day, but until then, there is plenty that's not right in this world. And so expressing grief, expressing sadness and anger and mourning can be a way of calling attention to the brokenness of creation. The things are not as they should be. Think about how in that we can glorify God by being honest 
by saying we want God to do something about this mess. And therefore, you could certainly see lament as an act of revolt against evil. You ever thought about that? A cry for more of the kingdom, being honest before God, and voicing your complaints is a way of revolting against evil, is, is a, also a way of crying out, as I said, for more of the kingdom and for comfort from the God who loves us and has proven that love in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, as we were worshiping this morning, I'm thinking about the righteous suffering of Christ. And that this Jesus allows us sinners to identify with him in his suffering. What a loving God that we serve. And this Jesus who promises to someday rid the world of all sorrow said this about us expressing our grief and our mourning in Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. This is from the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Isn't that a wonderful promise? For disciples, our mourning, we know, will always end in comfort. Yeah, maybe not be fully satisfied on this side of things, but one day, for sure. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they will be comforted. But let me ask you this. How can we be comforted if we do not mourn? You know, in the place of mourning, some people put anger sort of as a defense mechanism. We don't have to grieve. We don't have to mourn. We don't have to feel helpless. We don't get to the point where we cry out for God's help when we put up the walls, when we voice and live in anger constantly. You can look across the American landscape. We certainly see that now, don't we? Choosing to be and live in anger instead of mourning. And some people do this with addictions, alcohol, drugs, to create a diversion of not having to deal with reality and never coming to the place of mourning. You say, well, that's understandable. To some extent it is. But until we get to that point, until we come to the end of ourselves, we cannot begin to experience the life of God. Maybe that's just the place He wants us to be. You know, we don't grieve and mourn well as Americans, as I was saying. If we're honest, many of us... We avoid mourning and lamenting as long as we can. Lamenting feels like acknowledging defeat, and that just doesn't fit the American spirit of triumphalism, right, that we're, we're taught from when we were little, which, of course, leaves no room of holding grief and celebration together. We just, that just doesn't even compute for us. And so we tend to live in one ditch or the other, right? Happy all the time or always down in the dumps, and neither of those church are healthy. And unfortunately, the, the church, you know this, hasn't led the way very well because we've often succumbed to that American spirit more than the Holy Spirit. So we don't lament properly, and then it leads to all kinds of spiritual malformation and sometimes deep depression. Or instead of lamenting to God, we, like the Hebrews in the wilderness, complain to and about our leaders. And as we see in Exodus, that doesn't fare well for God's people. Those folks have to wander around until they die. They don't get the promised land. 
In fact, I think it's a, it's a lack of biblical lamentation that leads a church to either be sad and cynical all the time, because Lord knows there's no shortage of justices in the world to do that, so, that kind of thing, or it leads us to ignoring the suffering of the world and singing happy songs, preach happy sermons, and think happy thoughts all the time. And folks, those are both extremes, and neither of them reflect the gospel and our biblical hope. Therefore, we need to practice lament. And I think the Psalms can help us to learn to lament in healthy ways. The book of Psalms, which you've heard mentioned a couple of times already in this service, is made up of 150 chapters. And Psalms that are straight up lament make up about 40% of the book of these poems, songs, and prayers. And if you count the other chapters where lament shows up and it's expressed throughout, it comes out to about 70% of the Psalter expresses some form of lament, of complaint, of sorrow, of sadness, of God, when are you going to do something about this? Also, there are other laments throughout the Scripture, most heavily in books like Job. You know, that guy, he didn't actually start living until he voiced his complaints. Job, Jeremiah, Lamentations, but the book of Psalms is the go-to place for expressing lament. And why is that? Well, you know, it's, is it any different for how some of us turn on the radio or put on our favorite CD? This is what the book of Psalms is all about, of helping us to be able to express, even in a cathartic fashion, what we're feeling and giving it to God. And these psalms were written and placed within the canon of Scripture for that purpose, to restore a sacred dignity to human suffering and confess our trust in God. Amen? The psalms, you see, they offer a way for us to express our feelings, to protest, to process, and to voice our complaints and more. Here's what I said about lament earlier this year in our Lent series. Some of you will recognize this in our Resilient Faith series. We said we need to practice lament if we're going to develop a resilient faith, right? A faith that can persevere through anything. Here's why. This is what lament does. Lament says, number one, this isn't right. You see anything that's not right in the world? Lament says this isn't right. Number two, lament says this hurts, but I'm not quitting. If you were quitting, you wouldn't be lamenting. And then three, lament says, God, I need your help. Lord, we need your help. Can you see the value in lament and the danger it is for a nation that never does it? Don't miss this, church, because these psalms of disorientation and lament, they, hear me, summon God into the situation. This is the way all the psalmists viewed it. They are summoning God into the situation, which He waits for us to do. You see, this is a a cooperative uh, mission that we're on. This is a cooperative world that we live in. God wants to partner with us in bringing about more of the kingdom. He wants us to call on Him. You think about this one story where Jesus is walking, doing ministry, and from a distance... You remember the blind man, Bartimaeus? He calls out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy 
on me. He keeps repeating it, saying it louder and louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He leaves the path he's on and he goes to Bartimaeus. Listen to what Sungshan Ra wrote in his book on lament. He said, laments are prayers of petition arising out of need. But lament is not simply the presentation of a list of complaints, nor merely the expression of sadness over difficult circumstances. Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering. I mean, this is what God's people do in times like this. A liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated through lament. So let's reflect on a few of those psalms together real quickly. Look at Psalm 6. If you have your Bible, why don't you open up to Psalm 6? It's about in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, chapter 6. Another Psalm of David. You heard Psalm 13 read by Art a few minutes ago. In this psalm, clearly David feels that he's done something wrong. Listen to how he begins. Psalm 6, verse 1. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. You ever hurt so bad you feel it in your bones? My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. What good is it if I'm dead? I can't praise you. I can't live for you. Save me, Lord, David says. Who praises you from the grave? No one. He says, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fell because of all of my foes. And then notice he turns a corner here. He says, away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Look at that Psalm of David, church. It's clear in David's prayer that tears are involved in this deep lament. Have you thought about the reasons why we cry and need to express ourselves, need to express ourselves through tears? Now, don't worry. As Pastor Dave said, we're not going to make anyone cry this morning. I'm not going to say if you don't cry, you're not spiritual or something like that. But I want you to think about how God made our bodies. Think about the science behind emotional tears. Some of you will find this fascinating, I think. Do you know that shedding tears is the only physiological function that humans have that other animals don't have? They say that emotional tears contain proteins that are believed to release hormones and relieve stress. People feel better, we know this, you don't need to know the science, just observe it and experience that people feel better after crying, they feel less angry, they feel less sad. And they say that tearfulness evolved in the eyes 
as a strong emotional cue to others that a person is in pain and needs help. Now think about this because there's a message in it. Tears can be seen up close but not far away. What does that mean? We must come near to one another to share in the lament. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And Dave shared an experience in his car. I don't know what it is about having experiences like this in your car or in the shower. Certainly it has something to do with it when you're alone, but in 2019, I had a similar experience. I think I've shared some of this with you before. You may be thinking, don't you mean 2020? Well, <laughs> I didn't think it could get any more challenging, but it certainly did. But in 2019, things were kind of rough. Experiencing some challenges back home in Texas, a lot of things going on in, in my life and the life of the church. I started to experience anxiety for the first time in my life. And I remember driving home late one Friday when I was, should have already been done with my sermon. I finished. I was driving home and I just started to cry out to God and to weep. I mean, folks, it was so heavy, I thought I might have a wreck. I, I didn't know if I could actually get home. But, but I did, and I pulled over in front of the house. I continued to weep, and I called out to God. And folks, let me just tell you that after I did this, I heard God speak to me so very clearly in that moment that He had forgiven me of my sins and all of the ways that I felt like I wasn't good enough, I wasn't a good enough father, a good enough husband, a good enough pastor. And that it was even okay that I was experiencing anxiety. And I sensed through that, pouring out my heart to God, that by the time I left my vehicle and went into the house, something had changed. All of that stuff that I'd been bottling up and keeping inside and trying to remain civil and calm and hold it together, what I needed to do was to let it out. You know, crying is far more effective and good for the soul than getting angry and living in anger. But what do we do when we are angry? Well, we're in luck because the Psalms have something for you. I think it's helpful to know that related to the Lament Psalms are what we call the imprecatory Psalms. It's a nice way of saying prayers for vengeance. There are a few of those in the Psalms, and so what do we do with those? We're good Anabaptist folks here at Grantham. And how, how do we as followers of Jesus, who taught us to love our enemies, what do we do with these Psalms? Can we pray those Psalms? Well, I like what Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says about this in a lecture on this topic. You can find it on YouTube. He uses this Psalm 58, verses 1 through 6. Just listen to this Psalm. Psalm 58, 1 through 6, an imprecatory Psalm. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No. In your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. You ever felt that way? Psalmist says, even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, just ready to strike, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Verse 6, break the 
teeth in the mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Ah. What do you do with your anger? Brueggemann says this. This is so good. You might jot this down. What do you do when you feel anger? Well, there's a few options. Number one, you can act it out. We certainly see people doing that, right? Getting violent, seeking retribution. You can go buy a gun. Plenty of people solve, try to solve their problems that way. You can act it out. Number two, you can deny it. You can deny that you feel that way. And then guess what? It comes out elsewhere. Places you don't really want it to, like your marriage or your family, your, your kids, your relationships. So you can act it out, you can deny it, or three, you can give it over to your divine therapist. Brueggemann says this is really how we ought to read those psalms, that we are expressing to God how we really feel. I mean, why not? He knows it anyway. So let's be honest with ourselves and honest with God and give it over to our divine therapist. And Brueggemann uses this analogy of the one brother, and this works for me because I have two little boys, who, who goes to mom and says, look, I have a scratch. There's a little blood. Older brother did this to me. And of course, mom's first or dad's first response is to console them, bring peace to the situation. And then once they've been comforted, they say, but what are you going to do to him for the blood that's on my head? What are you going to do to him? Now, the not-so-wise parent says to the older boy, get in here! <laughs> Meanwhile, younger brother is like, yeah. But the wise parent says, you leave that to me. And I will take care of that. Brothers and sisters, if you're angry, be honest. Voice your complaint to God and then leave your complaint with God. And let our loving Father, who cares about what's right, who cares about what's just, who promises to sort it all out, let Him deal with it. And if you're still not convinced that you need to lament or that you can even tell God how you're really feeling, I encourage us to follow the example of Jesus because he used the Psalms this way. You heard this earlier in the service. It's the last one I want us to look at. Look at what Jesus said in Psalm 22, verse 1. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, this may sound familiar to you. We're familiar with those words of lament that Jesus voices on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Church, the son of the living God experienced God forsakenness. And this Jesus says we can do the same. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Now, you know, it's no surprise that 
the Psalms is where Jesus goes to express his own feelings of abandonment and what was his greatest moment of darkness and despair. And this is important to note. Don't miss this, church. When Jews quoted the first verse of a psalm, they were evoking the entire passage. So what does the rest of the lament say? You heard it read earlier in the service, but so pay attention then to the flow and the rhythm of Psalm 22. In verse 1 and 2, we have this honest expression of abandonment. And then verse 3 through 5, we have a confession of trust that God hears it, is going to do something about it. Verse 11, a specific petition. And in verse 22, a vow of praise, even in the darkness, even in the despair. And by the end of the chapter, verse 27 and 28, a belief in the future hope. This is a biblical lament. In fact, there's only one psalm I can think of that doesn't end this way with hope. It just ends in darkness. That's Psalm 88, and I call it the grunge rock psalm. Church, in Jesus' darkest moments, while he certainly voiced his complaint and revealed the depth of despair he felt upon the cross, he also trusted the Father, right? Called upon the Father for help, praised the Father for his faithfulness, and expressed a hope in what was to come. And we can do that as well if we'll respond to the invitation to a biblical expression of lament. When you came in this morning, you should have received an index card. Will you grab that card? If you didn't get an index card, just raise your hand and an usher will bring you a card so that you can write on. If you didn't get a pen, there's some pens in the back of the pews. So grab that index card and grab your pen. I'm going to ask you a few questions. You'll see these questions on the screen. And then I'm going to give you a moment of silence to write down your laments on this card. I think this is really good for us to do this. As a tangible way and an outward symbol of giving it over to God, we're going to put our laments on this card. And then after I pray, we're going to invite the ushers to come. And with your offerings this morning that you give as an act of worship and trust in God, I want you to put those cards in there too as a way, again, of giving it over to God. Here are the questions that I want us to reflect on and then write what we're feeling. Number one, what is it that saddens, grieves, or angers you? No one's looking over your shoulder. No spouses do this, okay? What is it that saddens, grieves, or angers you? Number two. What is missing in your life? Will you name the losses that you've experienced? And then lastly, number three, what do you need to say to God? Entrust to his care and leave in his hands. 
I'll give us a moment of silence as you write your laments on that card. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a loving Father. And like a loving parent, you allow us to express our grief, our sorrow, and laments. We thank you that like a loving parent, we can tell you how we really feel and know that you will not reject us. Thank you for giving us the strength to do that this morning. Lord, and in doing this and offering up our laments to you, we believe and we confess together that you are faithful that you are with us, that you hear our cries for mercy, that you come to our aid. And we know this because you have revealed your true heart, your true self, in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we ask these things now in his name. And all God's people said, amen.